And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience here at our Friday free-for-all in Northern Maryland, just far enough away from the funny farm in D.C. that I don't get uh, tainted by it, but close enough where I could go in, meet with the people I want. We are happy to be back in the house, and we are certainly happy it's Friday. Boy, has it been a busy week. Busy week pursuing the truth. As you know from yesterday's show, when you actually want to do real journalism, in addition to activism, because I am open that I am a conservative activist. Everyone knows that. But I'd rather be honest and then do a lot of good reporting while I'm at it rather than those who say, I'm a journalist, and they're nothing but hacks. So I'm open about the agenda. I'm open why. I'm open about why I think things are wrong, but what I think should be done about them. I don't just throw rocks. I actually say what needs to be done. And that reminds me of... The first thing I want to talk about, I wanted to get to that later, but let's just start with that. I apologize ahead of time to our female audience, and I know my wife wouldn't like me talking like this, but look, you know, some men just never grow up with the bathroom bathroom humor, and I'm sorry about it. I just, you know, I'm still like that. It, it just, it is what it is, but I think it's a good analogy. So one time I was going camping in, uh, at, at a big campground. So it's one of the bigger ones that have bathrooms in it. The smaller ones usually don't. And, you know, I'm, I'm coming out of the bathroom and I see a guy just walk in, you know, closes the stall. Maybe he didn't fully close it. Just like does his thing real quick and walks straight out. I mean... I don't know if there was any, you know, toilet paper going on there, um, but I could tell you it wasn't flushed and he didn't wash his hands. Folks, <laughs> that's what Mitch McConnell and John Cornyn and Senate Republican leadership remind me of this week. Just so you know, they're very religious people, not when it matters to be religious, but they take a two and a half week, almost a two and a half week break for Easter Passover, um, which is next next week. And Good Friday is not for another week, but they're taking off two whole weeks and we'll be back the following Monday or Tuesday. And I was thinking to myself, we talked about this yesterday with John Cornyn. He's a Texas senator. His state is being invaded. He barely talks about the issue certainly doesn't act on the issue. Not a single piece of legislation dealing with a single piece of this has been brought to the committee level, Judiciary, Homeland Security, Cornyn's on Judiciary Committee, by the way. But this guy is so concerned about what Trump is doing now, you know, there's things I criticize that I don't like he's, what he's doing, but I say, here's what I think he should be doing. 
These guys, they criticize his response to the invasion, but they never criticize the invasion, and they never act on the invasion, and they never talk about what they would do about the invasion. So they're all very clear this week. We're not doing anything. You can't solve this problem through personnel changes. They don't like that he fired people. John Cornyn made it very clear. I will not vote for Chris Kobach. But the problem with that is then they certainly should believe you need a legislative changes. Now, look, you know, my opinion is the law is the law. But I think there is a purpose to putting Democrats on the record as supporting this and having a robust debate. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. So I just wanted to say that, I mean, it's like, it just reminded me of that guy in the bathroom. Our work here is done. (laughs) It's like ultimate drive-by. Record invasion. Meaning if they didn't say anything and went on vacation, it would be better. But instead, they didn't say anything or do anything about the invasion, but then tossed off a bunch of criticism on their way to the, you know, to, to catch their ride back home about Trump's firing, about the points of entry, slow down the commerce. And now they're out for two and a half weeks. And let me tell you something. While Congress is out over the next two and a half weeks, boy, oh boy, will those courts be legislating for them. So, um, just wanted to convey that to you, and I'm sorry if I did it in a crude manner, but that, that that's what it is. Our work here is done. <laughs> These guys are just pathetic. Mitch McConnell, he wants bipartisan immigration talks, according to AP. What we need to do is sit down in a serious adult bipartisan basis and try to fix the problem, because the problem is pretty obvious. Border security is a part of it, but that doesn't solve the asylum issue, and that can't be solved, I don't think, without some kind of statutory adjustment. <laughs> By the way, let me just translate for you what bipartisan means. It means let's work at an amnesty deal. You know this is coming. You, they're basically talking about this now, that we are not allowed to have a secure border unless we give them amnesty. This is not a universal value. We must give them amnesty. I just find that utterly, utterly amazing. What's going on there? But their work here is done. You have Ron DeSantis pushing hard in Florida for sanctuary legislation, actually fulfilling his promises, being a leader. And again, Trump needs to be that leader. Trump got McConnell to take up an amnesty vote. Why can't he get him to take up a sanctuary city vote? A Flores vote? Again, I don't believe we need that anyway, but whatever. If that's what's going to float your vote, vote, at least force them. No, nothing. There's no leadership. By the way, I wanted to tell you something. The Flores settlement, the original settlement, is 40 pages long. On page 8, section, what is this? Section 5-2 of the opinion, or the settlement. 
The INS will transfer a minor from placement under this paragraph to placement under paragraph 19 within three days if the minor was apprehended in an INS district in which the license program is located, yada, yada. And then it says, except in the event of an emergency or influx of minors into the United States, in which case the INS shall place all minors pursuant to paragraph 19 as, as, as expeditiously as possible. So, the way I'm reading this, this actually is written straight out that Flores wouldn't apply here. I got to flesh that out more, but again, if you don't really care in your administration to solve the problem, you're not going to vet out every option like we try to do here. And that leads me just to what I want to talk about continuing from yesterday. It's so frustrating that this administration has not changed the culture of the public affairs divisions at DHS and the varying agencies. You guys well know that if you are not, if you are a Republican administration and you care to get out to the public the truth about what the border agents are confronted with, about how we're being scammed, about the diseases, all the problems. You'd be stupid not to talk to me. Okay, you 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 just be stupid not to talk to me. Um, and feed me with information. Not because I need it as for my career. I actually don't. Because again, I'm not a reporter. So I I earn my keep even if I don't do that. But just for the country. And I'm just telling you, it's becoming more and more frustrating. More and more frustrating that these guys just will not work with me. Once in a while, you'll find a guy that's really good and will, and I had that in one agency, and he was like, man, I've never seen anyone frame the issues the way you do. Um, No one's getting this out. This is stuff we've wanted to say for years. So that was very good. But... This is just out of control. It's like, I cannot tell you how many people never get back to me after initially saying, oh, sounds really interested. And they either decline to you know, come on, come on the show or even, even just on background, even off the record. And what the media doesn't, what, what, what the public affairs folks at, um, you know, DHS, CBP, ICE, what they don't realize is that you're allowing the left to keep promoting their narrative privately to to someone in one of these agencies who agrees with me, but he has no control over this. I just unloaded to him today. I just said, like, I said, look, I don't take it personal, but you, you need to tell the guys in the next meeting that you have with, you know, public affairs that the left, they always have their context, even in a Republican administration and they get out their narrative. If you're not going to work with other people to get out the other side, you understand that the media created this crisis. I want you guys to remember technically the courts did, but the courts, as you well know, are more, are even more political than, than Congress is. So just like members of Congress respond to what the media tells them is an outrage, the courts are the same way. 
The reason why the courts are putting more injunctions than ever when they never did this, when we did much stronger things in the past to deter illegal immigration is because we didn't have a country, a a media that was this far to the left, giving them the impression that this is where the country is. Meaning judges were ironically given life tenure so they would be immune to this. Instead, it's all political. For example, I'll tell you this much. Trump used the same type of authority he has to shut down illegal immigration. He used to shut down those Boeing jumbo planes that crashed in Ethiopia. Say you can't fly them here. Why don't you see a lawsuit from Boeing, an an injunction? You'll never see that because the media is all behind that. I'm not saying I disagree with it. I'm just saying, you know, no one's opposing it. And in fact, if a judge would do that, the judge would get clobbered over the head. There would be stories, hit pieces on him. Don't think that they all, they, they follow what they think the law is. No, they don't. It's all political. So, we had a media virtue signaling. We, we, we had, I mean, in other words, illegal immigration was going up for about six to eight months, end of 2017 calendar year, and into 2018. The media did a, an insane virtue signaling over separating children, which is a misnomer, when we always prosecuted people under every administration. And you're not separating families, but the consequences of prosecuting is that the kid gets separated, as is the case with American criminals. And then the administration just fell apart. People forget. That's what caused the crisis. And a judge merely just codified the media's virtue signaling. Judges respond to the media's sense of morality. It's very scary. And I told him, like, if you would have had the other side of the story getting out where, you know, I said, don't just come to me, but you know, I listed a whole bunch of there's, you know, you know, you guys follow five, six, seven other reporters that kind of push the more pro American, pro sovereignty, pro law enforcement view on illegal immigration. Right. Rather than me believing that they're competitors, I was like, no, go to them. If you don't want to go to me, you think I'm too overtly political, it's fine. Go to them at least. You know, they, they do straight up reporting. It's conservative reporting. It's straight up. They're, they're actually straighter ar- arrows than Washington Post guy who acts like, oh, he's reporting all this stuff. And then he goes on Twitter and just trashes the administration, which is fine. That's his, free, his freedom of speech. But don't lie and call yourself a journalist. Like this one guy... You know, who actually liked me, he's like, Yeah, I'm gonna tell these guys we have the best journalists around. I said, Look, I said, look, be careful. Tell them the truth about who I am. I'm honored that you're calling me a journalist, but I don't call myself one because I'm not. A journalist is someone who is only motivated by the pursuit of the facts. I am political. I believe my views are right. Now I want to be very factual and give you a lot of information, which I think I do, but and there is a lot of journalistic intrigue in me. But I would never call my... I'm not going to play the game the other side plays. I'm going to be honest about who I am. The conservative conscience, conservative review. We don't hide it. So, um... 
this is just something that's really frustrating that mechanically so much of what is going on now is driven by the lack of this administration and their public affairs officers working with allies. Instead, they work with enemies like the Stockholm Syndrome and they hit them in the face every time. I'm not just complaining on a personal level, oh, they're not giving me information. It's strategic. Why do you think John Cornyn only responds, why do you think Republicans, much less Democrats, only respond to the outrage of the health concerns of illegal immigrants? The concerns that they're being treated right. Separation of the families, uh, you know, shutting down commerce. It's because they respond to what the media is talking about. If the media is not pounding the pavement on Americans being flooded with diseases, Americans being flooded with MS-13, they're not going to feel the outrage. And the courts are going to respond the same way. The media controls this country. But when you control the flow of information of what is happening at Border Patrol, you have the ability to give it to, to people who will frame it properly, or you have the ability to give it to people who will lie and destroy you. And basically paint a picture of Border Patrol and ICE as a bunch of stormtroopers. It's just stupid. I'm just uh, I'm trying to give you a little bit of inside information just of what I'm going through, not to make it personal about me, but it strategically, this affects policy outcomes. You better believe the media does. I had a perfect example, and I, I said this over to a couple of people today. I said, you know, those of us who covered this issue understood that for years, there were special interest aliens, SIAs from the Middle East coming to our border. It wasn't a conspiracy. There were a lot of them, and it was increasing in 2016, um, really after 2015 when you had the great you know, migration to Europe from the Middle East after just chaos broke out there, civil wars. They came here too, not in as great numbers, but they did come. And, you know, there were... They, Thousands of them were debriefed. There's a whole vetting process. There's a process as far down as Panama and Costa Rica, as Todd Ben's been reported on. Anyone who talked about it knew this and understood it. But because they stupidly kept such a tight lid on this information and never worked with any allies, as as, as the left always does, to get this out, it's hard to reinvent the wheel like in one shot, something you never heard of existing to be a big problem. Like, no, you know, the media got this, was able to say, flood the, flood the zone. Like, ha ha ha, Middle Easterners, made, made it up, made it up. We're like, what are you talking about? It's out in the open. And remember we talked about, you know, them debating over prayer rugs, whether we saw prayer rugs. And we laughed at it because we're like, prayer rugs was something we talked about 15, 20 years ago when it was kind of a trickle. We knew it was happening, but you didn't really see it. So you were looking for trace evidence. And meanwhile, you know, nowadays, I mean, there's thousands of them that are interviewed by Border Patrol and FBI is down there and deals with it. I mean, all the time. Everyone knows that who, who understands the issue. And this is the PR war we're in. Because notice how we had to struggle for months. On this show, we were ahead of the curve. We were the first to tell you about this whole dynamic of the cartels sending the hundreds of migrants to surrender to the agents in one shot. And meanwhile, they're bringing over the bad guys. 
you know, it, it, how quantitatively and qualitatively this is the worst flow. What do you mean? No, it's it's the the least amount of illegal immigration ever. You know, what are you talking? Each thing they would lie about, and we had to deconstruct it, and we had to do it on our own, and we knew it was true, but it's like they wouldn't work with us. They should be reaching out, but even if we would reach out, they wouldn't. They'd give us the runaround. And meanwhile, the Washington Post gets the exclusive on the. Um, the CBP numbers every every uh, every month. It's utterly ridiculous. So I just wanted you to know that. I mean, if I if I'm Border Patrol and I'm ICE and I want change, I badly want Congress to respond. I want people to understand what our agents are confronted with, the public, the threat to security public safety, I would be feeding people like me if I were on that side with all sorts of stuff. I shouldn't have to beg for information on diseases and their protocols. They should they should be readily coming like, hey, you know, do you understand like what the courts are forcing us to do and, you know, what the media is saying is compassionate really is resulting in, in, in carnage and it, it, no, they, they don't work with us. Th- this is just... The problem where things don't change under Republican administrations. They just don't. It's dumb. It just really is out of control. So, um, I, I, I just, I just don't, don't understand this. This whole thing is really, really bizarre. Um, and and I just, I just can't. I don't know. I just can't get things straight. So anyway. I'm just telling you, we're being lied to. You don't have to be a brilliant person to recognize that if you have hundreds of thousands of the most impoverished people that the government officials admit never dealt with sanitary conditions before access to a doctor, very impoverished, from the jungles of Central America coming in this chaotically when they have to release them often within 24 hours. There is no way you could look me in the eye and tell me that is not a public health concern. That when we have, and I don't have the data, it's a Reuters report, they're the only ones who seem to get this from five weeks ago, there were over 2,000 people quarantined where there's smoke, there's fire. You mean to tell me every other person we vetted out, it's only the people in quarantine and don't worry, anyone who's not is not a problem. How conceivably, scientifically, could you vet that out when you release them that quickly? You know, I'm willing to allow the fact that, you know, there's still enough time and enough, you know, desire that if you see a guy with straight up symptoms, you're going to, you're going to flag that. But what about the ones that you don't? 
And could you guarantee that not a single person being released is being released without a vaccine? I'm pretty sure the obvious answer is no. Especially the ones being released directly by Border Patrol without even giving over to the to, to, to ICE. There's no way. I mean, I, I, I got that from a guy off the record. But, you know, I'll have to vet that out to see if they, they uh, deny it. But that's the thing. This administration needs to focus more on systemically changing what actually happens on the ground rather than Trump just tweeting. Like, look, I'll be the first to tell you I get a kick out of Trump's tweet. It was awesome. When the media had the Washington Post had the scoop, Trump administration considered letting out some of these asylum seekers into sanctuary cities to punish them. And I and Trump's like, Trump just tweeted it. You know, he took ownership for it. it was like, yeah, yeah, actually, we're gonna do it. I think it's a great idea. I mean, you know, you guys say how great these people are. So what's your problem? You shouldn't have a problem with it, right? You you release all the time. But why do you always have to telegraph your punches and then never even punch? Don't telegraph it and do the punch. I mean, we need we need a lot more of that. So anyway, I finally got back this from ICE. With the dramatic increase in the number of migrants and the increased presence of juveniles and family units, it is expected to see an increase in the occurrence of infectious diseases such as chicken pox or influenza in persons in CBP custody. However, we have not seen any specific unusual or alarming public health or infectious disease threats. In, in persons in CBP custody. I don't know what they're talking about because I, th- th- this is a big problem because they they had tuberculosis in one of them. I got, I got to dig this up. But they, they, they had that. They just put chicken pox, pox and influenza. It's very interesting. There's 200 people in ICE facilities with mumps. There's 2,000 quarantined. CBTP takes the issue very seriously and coordinates closely with local state health officials and CDC on an ongoing basis. He's not answering my question. This is unbelievable. He's not answering my question. Do you release people without vaccines and are you able to vet out diseases? He's not he's not answering the question. Agents, officers in the field are during initial processing identify potential medical conditions. I understand they do that as part of initial processing. But <laughs> You're taking people that are exposed to the worst parts of the country. What if they don't have symptoms now? You're not holding them long enough.
it, it just it, it's laughable. I'm just, I'm just reading through this. CBP has interagency medical teams supporting priority locations and relies on local emergency medical services. Yeah, so you expose them to the problem too. Unless you're taking blood tests. I mean, I spoke with Mark Morgan, who was border chief in 2016 yesterday. He was like, Daniel, what, you think they're taking blood tests? Are you insane? He's like, of course this is happening. He thought I was stupid for even trying to ask them. He was like, what do you mean? It's unfeasible. I mean, it's just such BS. And they say, see, the, they, they refer me to statements on the humanitarian crisis. Yeah, again, it talks about how they're treating the elite. I know they're treating them. They're treating their symptoms and their issues. But your long-term, you if you are you a carrier of these diseases? That's a very different type of screening that requires a very specific thing. And there's not enough time for that. I know there isn't. Moreover, there's a very specific question you're not answering. Do you vaccinate them or not? So, I just I just don't get this. I literally don't get this. And look, I can understand you want to BS the Washington Post, but like I'm trying to help. Now, maybe they, they're scared because they, they're scared like, you know, it will look bad on them, but it's not their fault. If you're a Border Patrol and you want to end catch and release, this is a way to end catch and release, to put out information that you're forcing us to release people that haven't been vetted for diseases and haven't been vaccinated at a time when everyone's going nuts about the outbreaks. I mean, I just don't understand it. We're seeing this everywhere where they're like, you can't go here. You can't go to school. And look, you know, some of you might disagree with me. I'm a very limited government guy. I'm very, I'm for that. I agree with it. It's been done in this country since the 1800s, not just at an immigration level, but even among Americans, we would send people to California to certain, you know, TB camps you had back in the day because it's such, it affects other people in such a bad way. And it's so easily communicable that is the one of the few core functions of government to protect the safety and liberties of all of us. We don't want to clamp down on you, but but that's that's a case where we got to do it. You can't mess around with that. I agree with it, but what I don't agree with is the same people that are so emphatic, like, oh no no, don't, don't worry, this taking care of it. No 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 problem with Central Americans. No 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 problem whatsoever. Are you kidding me? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. I don't know. I mean, I, I gotta as soon as I get off the air, I gotta gotta email this guy back. I mean, I just don't don't think it's gonna help much. But um because they're just not gonna talk to me. But this is this is out of control. This is utterly out of control. I I don't understand what they're talking about. There were 362 cases of lice, 113 cases of scabies, 22 cases of hospital flu. Um, I'm just talking about places I've seen from their own press releases. And I told you, the Tijuana Health Department, unless they're lying, 
They talked about TB, HIV, chicken pox, lice, skin infections, and hepatitis. So, um, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. But I just want to reiterate that I think we are being lied to. We are being lied to. Really scares me. The whole thing just doesn't make any sense. You know, I I, got to dig this up here. Trying to see where the press release was here. It's funny because they always email me back when I'm on air. And normally, I'm sorry to be distracted, but I'm also trying to get you the most up-to-date information that I'm dealing with. And, you know, at least I think they're reckoning with me now more than they did before. But, um, you know, here, um, where is this? Uh, I mean, when they talk about the number of people sent to hospitals, this is what I don't understand. If you have that many people going to the hospital, they say they're on pace for like 30,000. No, I'm sorry. For the year, 100,000 visits. Hospital visits. So I'm not getting this. I'm not getting their point here. I'm not understanding what they're talking about. If there's that much smoke, how is there not fire? In other words, if you admit, see, there's one thing you say, look, there's nothing to say. I don't see any diseases. But you say, no, I did see, but we're taking care of it. Okay, well, that's a different story. And I normally believe you. But if you're releasing some of them within 24 hours, that's a different story. I mean, let's say you hold them for as much as you want. And there's no rush. There's no problem with detention space. So I can understand. You say, all right, there are problems, but they're guaranteeing us that anyone they release, they vaccinated them and they've been sitting in the facility long enough that any communicable disease would have been recognized, actualized at that point. Scientifically, there's no way you could say that based on what they're doing. So once we know that so many, they downright saw up front with the, with the problems, how are there others that, that haven't had it? You know, things like scabies. This is what I just don't understand. And what's so sad is I I just went to my barber. I still got the hair on my uh, shirt because I just haven't had time to take a shower. Just kind of in and out, busy day. And this is a guy who immigrated legally in the 50s. It took him 16 years to come. And I was talking to him about this. He asked me, hey, what are you working on? And I told him, you know, the story because I knew he'd appreciate it. And he was like, man, did they work me over with the doctor's notes and documentation of immunizations and everything. And now they just they just all blow it off. All the people that are just as strong as ever, the medical establishment, the media, they'll go after the anti-vaxxers, which, again, I agree with. But somehow it gets shut off when it comes to legal. It's like, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't don't worry. We're 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 totally fine. 
You know, I've just been corresponding back and forth with CBP on this, and they blow me off. They just won't answer the simple question. Both CBP and ICE refer to testimony from years ago on how they deal with, you know, concerns. But we've never had it. I mean, by CBP's own admission, we've never had a situation like this. So isn't it worth asking, like, hey, uh, you're, you're still keeping up with this, right? They won't answer a simple question. Do you vaccinate? It's a yes or no. It's a yes or no. Don't talk about, okay, we have a comprehensive help. No, no, no. Do you vaccinate them or not? I have an agent telling me they do not, which, you know, again, Mark Morgan will tell you the same thing. It would be bizarre if, if, if they did. So we know they're being released by Border Patrol even before getting to ICE, at least a certain amount of them, especially in places like El Paso. How is that not a problem? So that's where we are with that. Now, I just want to return to one point on the other issue we talked about yesterday that I'm working on, which is the fact that likely only a small percentage of those who are coming to the border are even asserting a credible fear claim. Just to put a punctuation mark on that point on how the administration is not even – they're not even pushing back where the courts haven't even per, so-called stopped them from doing it yet. In other words, where they haven't even claimed credible asylum, are they putting them in expedited deportation? But it gets worse than that. It gets worse than that. Do you understand that pending their um, adjudications... We're giving them work permits. I mean, there's a de facto amnesty program. We're giving them work permits. This is the stuff Obama did. And it's not changing under this administration. I'm looking at the USCIS data. Of course, I asked for FY 2019 data. And of course, they tell me they don't have it, which is unbelievable. They definitely have it. They don't have it that they're willing to share it publicly. If it's not on their website, they won't give it to me. But there's no way they don't have it. How many people did you give work permits? Foreigners just come in here like that's it. But anyway, after 180 days, they're able to get work permits. According to USCIS, 345,000 work authorizations for pending asylum applicants were granted in fiscal year 2018. 400,000 in fiscal year 2017. So two years of the Trump administration where they were, I mean, this is unbelievable. 80 to 90% will be denied anyway, even under the liberal judges. And yet they have work permits. You know how hard it's going to be to get rid of them? Now, there is a place in the statute that allows this after 180 days under the right circumstances. I have to read it again. But I will tell you one thing for sure is it's whatever it is, is discretionary. It's certainly not mandatory. Again, if you understand our asylum laws, it makes sense. They weren't written for retards. 
Understood. You have a couple people come a year here and there, and they're really, you know, being persecuted by Islam as a Christian in Pakistan. They come here, so yeah, you know, after after six months, we'll allow you to, um, to to give you a work permit. It's good for everyone, but it's not mandatory. Now, look, I'm sure if they would stop it, they'd take it to court, and they, you know, they they do this with temporary protected status, but they haven't done it yet yet. Do you understand that U.S. law permits permanent employment-based visas to be no more than 140000 Okay? Non-immigrant temporary visas are about 151000 That's a total of 291000 So we have more unapproved applicants for bogus asylum working basically illegally given out by this administration than the number of legally allowed workers per year. I I just I I I don't I don't know. Now, you'll see an article out. Where 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 do I have here? Um, you know this is where I I saw it at BuzzFeed originally. You know, they're obviously complaining about it from a left-wing angle. But um, Trump officials seeking to double the time asylum seekers must wait to legally work. They want to make it, you have to be here a year. But why Why not stop it completely? Why not shut it off? I mean, we, we talked about last week, one of the experts who testified before Congress, uh, Davidson from The Federalist, he said he's spoken to a lot of them, and most of them, a lot of them are actually adult males coming with one child. It's not even like family units so much. And they're coming for work. That's the big magnet. I mean, this is something under current law. It's discretionary. Literally, I'm looking at it right now. There's a list of number of approved employment authorization documents, and there's different statuses. And literally, every you know, half of them are meant, it says mandatory or discretionary. Right? And this is under C8. It's called the C8 classification, C8 status, pending asylum, meaning it's it's um, INA 208 D28. And it says discretionary. This is unbelievable. Why is this continuing? I just don't understand it. Oh, maybe we'll double the wait time. Discontinue it. That's the that's the huge magnet here. And again, this ties back to what we said that this is only if you've had a credible fear approved and you're pending full status adjudication, you're eligible. Otherwise, you're 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 breaking the law. So I don't know. Are we giving it to these other people too? I don't know the answer to that question. I'm speculating. I don't know. But um This is just at, this is this is just off the wall. This whole thing is off the wall. It's out of control. So there's this point. I want to move on. And talk about the courts a little bit. I want to. I want you to understand 
what I talk about, this one-directional ratchet with the lower courts, how conservative judges will always follow liberal Supreme Court precedent, but liberal lower court judges will will push back against a conservative court Supreme Court decision and why it's heads we win, tails we win. I want to show you the attitude. There's a man named Tate Reeves. He is a man who codified transgenderism into civil rights law. So he originally said that Mississippi can't protect businesses from being forced to service gay weddings. Okay? He was overturned by the Fifth Circuit. Okay, he was overturned. He's out of control. I mean, he did a bunch of stuff I've written about. I, I forget. He's a judge from, from Mississippi. This is from BuzzFeed. In a highly unusual public rebuke against President Donald Trump by a sitting member of the federal judiciary, U.S. District Judge Carlton Reeves delivered a speech Thursday calling the Trump administration a great assault on our judiciary and comparing the president's criticism of the judiciary to tactics used by the KKK. I mean, that's what I'm telling you. Like, these guys are warriors. They're just like Ocasio-Cortez and Bernie Sanders and, you know, all these people, except they are accorded the power of the, of the world, of God. When politicians attack courts as dangerous, political, and guilty of egregious overreach, you can hear the Klan's lawyers assailing officers of the court across the South. When leaders chastise people for merely using the courts, you can hear the Citizens' Council hammering up the names of black petitioners in Yazoo City, Mississippi. When the fat powerful accuse courts of opening up our country to potential terrorists, you can hear the Southern manifestos and authors smearing the judiciary for simply upholding the rights of black folk. I mean, th this is what we have on the, on, on the bench. That's what they, they, they do their own thing. They just don't care. The Supreme Court, I mean, he's referencing, you know, what did he say here? Accuse us of opening our country to potential terrorists. So in the context of criticizing the courts, he's referring to the travel ban. The Supreme Court sided with Trump. I mean, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It's just, it's just unbelievable. This is unreal. This guy needs to be impeached. This is unbelievable. This guy is just out of control. But I'm telling you, it's like you're not, I mean, think about this fascism. He's allowed to criticize Trump as a man who doesn't stand for election, as a judge who has to be impartial, but a guy who is political and campaigns and has to stand before the people, he's not allowed to criticize judges? Are you kidding me? Think of the pattern of judicial nominees refusing to admit like generations of nominees before them that Brown v. Board was correctly decided. So he's now criticizing current judicial nominees that are going to be his colleagues on the judiciary. I mean... I, He's saying Trump's unprecedented. He's unprecedented. I mean, this is an unbelievable speech. Unbelievable speech. A real dirtbag, this guy. 
And he was overturned by the Fifth Circuit. But that's what I'm telling you. Like, they believe in themselves so much. They, like, something you don't believe, like, Daniel, like, Daniel, do, do you think, are you telling me that Trump should defy the courts? I'm like, you idiot. The lower courts are defying the Supreme Court every day. That, that's why when another round of litigation comes back and it literally violates precedent just set by the higher court, they'll have no problem just essentially repealing it. Right? That's how they work. It is unreal. You got to pinch yourself to believe this is going on. But that's the irony here. He's like, how dare these people not believe in precedent? You don't believe in precedent. Reason precedent. Out of control. Out of control. Speaking of the devil, I want to give you an example that's going to knock your socks off. So again, what's our point about the courts? Our point is that in the rare cases where we use the courts, judicial supremacism to get our political outcome. And again, as I said before, I don't mind going to the courts as individual plaintiffs and saying, look, government is violating the Constitution or statute. I want relief from it. And I think there is very legitimate it, – it, it's, it's the, one of the most legitimate things to do to go to a court and say, I don't want to have to pay union dues. I'm not a union member. This is my property. You, you, are, you are violating – you are coercing speech out of me. You are forcing my money to go to the Democrat Party. You're forcing my paycheck to go to the Democrat Party. It is a clear violation of First Amendment property rights. If that isn't, then there nothing is. To coerce speech. I can't merely remain in locomotion, just, you know, I'm not asking anything. I just want to be left alone. You are forcing me to cough up my money. Now, again, I'm consistent. Courts don't strike down or this, but they could give relief and say, you don't have to pay. Right? That, that is within the province of the judiciary. So if you think about it, you know, one of the most categorical wins we've had in the courts in recent memory, there's very few of them, is the Janus case, right? The case where landmark case, Alito writing for the majority, um, where he said, no, this violates the Constitution. And really, it was, it was very categorical. It was one of the few cases that wasn't mealy mouth it was like wow i mean public sector unions are done i mean like you can't force taxpayer funds in california you know now again i would argue it was the california union it was janice v Avscam, and you know whatever but 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 hear me out notice how what let's say democrats win 100 victories we don't have borders anymore boom 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 we don't even push back the administration i shouldn't say we the administration doesn't push back in any way okay you tell me I can't do it in this case, but a slightly different case, I'm going to do it. And make them come back and litigate again? No. We're just done. We don't have a border. Millions of people coming in, give them work permits. Um, a horse and a donkey is a marriage. Yeah, you're right. A marriage is no longer a marriage. It's just a, We don't even fight. 
But when the Supreme Court rules for our side, when we want to so-called strike down, so to speak, their things, for example, Heller, your gun laws are unconstitutional. Did, did, did the left, did the blue states and the lower courts just go home and like, hey, yeah, we're done? No. The, the blue states came back, continued anti-carry laws, continued anti-mag capacity um, bans. Um, you have New Jersey, the retroactive ban of 10 of mag capacities, more than 10 rounds, simple nine millimeters. Unbelievable. Assault weapons bans. They come before the lower courts. The lower courts are like, screw that. They cite from Breyer's dissent in Heller. And you know by now, a decade later, later, Heller is basically done. So I was always wondering what would happen with the Janus case because I was like, man, are they just going to go home? You know, that, 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 that was pretty, pretty categorical. You know, Alito said, quote, suppose, for example, the state of Illinois required all residents to sign a document expressing support for a particular set of positions on controversial public issues, say the platform of one of the major political parties. No one we trust would seriously argue that the First Amendment per permits that. When speech is compelled, however, additional damage is done. In this situation, individuals are coerced into betraying their convictions, forcing free and independent individuals to endorse ideas they find objectionable is always demeaning. And for this reason, one of the, our landmark free speech cases said that a law commanding, quote, involuntary affirmation of objected to, of objected to beliefs would require, quote, even more immediate and urgent grounds than a law demanding silence. Think about that. You're demanding I take an action. So the executive branches of these states are demanding, are putting a positive on my negative, and the court's merely putting a negative on that positive for that plaintiff. Thomas Jefferson said, to compel a man to furnish contributions of money for the propagations of opinions which he disbelieves and abhors is sinful and tyrannical. So this was a real categorical piece. And, you know, people noted at the time that um, Kennedy, Anthony Kennedy, was very strong in his concurrence. Guess what happens? Come the blue states and the lower federal courts, hold my beer. This is from Oregon Live. This is, this is from last week. I didn't get to this. Judge recommends dismissing lawsuits challenging Oregon State Bar's mandatory dues. Federal magistrate judge has recommended dismissing two lawsuits that challenge the Oregon State Bar's membership fees that several attorneys contend have been used to support political speech without consent. The Oregon legislature enacted the State Bar Act in 1935, making it a public corporation and requiring lawyers who want to practice in the state to join and pay an annual fee. The bar administers exams for admission to practice law, examines a member's character and fitness, drafts and enforces rules of conduct, and requires continuing education and training of lawyers. Because the bar is an arm of the state, it's immune from suit under the 11th Amendment. U.S. Magistrate Judge Holy, Jolie Russo wrote in, in her 27-page findings. The judge also cited the 1990 U.S. Supreme Court ruling in Keller v. State Bar of California, which permits the use of compulsory membership dues to fund speech related to regulating the legal profession and improving the quality of legal services. Dude, Janice overturned Keller. 
It's unreal. You see these guys are undaunted. And look, let me be very clear. I am consistent. I believe that the court didn't strike down union due laws. They gave relief to plaintiffs in Illinois and California in a specific union. So I'm to me, every state should immediately end the practice of all of this in all these unions, not because the Supreme Court said so, but because that's the First Amendment, constitutional supremacism. But nonetheless, I agree that if they disagree, I agree they could push back. And it it's not self-executing on the other cases. As a matter of policy and constitutionally, they should. I'm just saying that's not what a court does. And I'm, I'm whole, highly consistent. But I'm just saying when you come before a lower court federal judge, that lower federal judge should say, wait a minute. OK, but you know, I don't see why this should be different than, than Janice. But no, this is a very profound lesson. It's ironically, it's conservatives that treat the courts like legislatures. Ironically, it's the left that treats it like cases and controversies. Meaning, when when when, when the Supreme Court has a liberal opinion, our side's like, yeah, it's struck down. Huh? Borders are struck down. Election laws are struck down. Abortion laws are struck down. In life, marriage, you name it, struck down. There's nothing we can do. It's nullified. It's ripped out. We can't. Eh, we're, we're screwed. Then the Supreme Court will issue a conservative ruling. Gun laws are unconstitutional. The This part of the um, Voter Rights Act policing state redistricting is unconstitutional. Union dues are unconstitutional. And they're like, screw it. That's that case, that particular plaintiff with that union, this is different, or that particular gun owning in your home in this particular way. This case is different. We're going to do what we want in the states. Uh, Conservative groups sue them. And the lower court's like, yeah, screw that. This is why nobody, no other show will give this to you. They'll be like, Trump's appointing all these judges. It doesn't matter. Conservative judges don't do this. What the liberal judges do. Read Tate Reeves and understand that there's several hundred of those dudes on the bench. Several hundred of them. And there always will be because they're not going to retire on their own unless they die, even if Trump has two terms. And then again, inevitably, the left comes back into power anyway, and then the pendulum swings back the other way anyway, even with the appointees. This is what people don't understand. This is the profundity of the full picture I give to you. Why the courts, it's heads the left win, wins, tails we lose. One way ratchet. Because the legal profession at large will always, and the media will back them. It's the same thing. The media drives everything. Do you think the media would have allowed Reed O'Connor, Judge Reed O'Connor, the conservative judge from Texas, to get away with a universal injunction or any injunction on Obamacare? No, they they draw and throw him in the mud. Conservative judges are scared to go bold in a conservative way to get conservative policy outcomes, even when appropriate. Liberal judges. They, 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 it's like 
literally, they'll say Trump is a piece of garbage. He's a racist dirtbag, and he can't do this. The Supreme Court will say that's not true. This is well within his power. They'll come back and say Trump's a racist dirtbag for doing this. Like, what? Huh? Like, Trump is not listening to the courts. Uh, you're you're not listening to the Supreme Court. It is it is unreal. Just wanted to end off with that point, but at the end of the day, the media defines morality. And that's going to dictate immigration policy. It's going to dictate the way the courts go until we have equal and opposing force on our side speaking the truth. I'm just one man. That's all I could do. We're going to have a lot more coming next week. I'm going to try to work on all these stories. I have so much more coming out. But uh, thanks for a terrific week. Thanks for listening. Share each show with 10 of your friends, relatives. Even if they're not conservative, you know, I'm not a hack. I'm not a Republican. I'm an independent conservative who's consistent, who's thorough and detailed, looks wide and deep at an array of issues. We got to get the truth out. Enjoy your family time. I'm I'm certainly going to enjoy time off. My mind, body, and soul is just worn out as anything, but it's exhilarating. I thank God giving me this platform that at least I could speak the truth. At least that hasn't been taken away yet. So we're certainly thankful of that. Have a terrific weekend. God's salvation is at the blink of a, blink of an eye. Who knows what Monday will bring? But God willing, we'll be back. Same time, same place. Enjoy your weekend. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. Conscience.